Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I hadn't planned on starting with this, but I want to give a special welcome to the podcast listeners who will be hearing this message, and uh, especially to those in New Zealand and Namibia who we've heard from recently. So greetings to Namibia, greetings to New Zealand. It's great to hear from people all over the world. Started hearing from some people in Egypt, in Iraq, Iran, and some other places as well. It, it turns out that God can reach people all over the world through this congregation and through the ministry that we're doing together. And uh, we get some statistics from our podcast server and from iTunes. At this point, we've had uh, just shy of two and a half million downloads and uh, a few hundred thousand more than four million hits on the podcast. So if you add those together, we're close to seven million uh, podcasts distributed to people all over the world. And we hear from people who have no congregation or no other way of hearing the good news of Messiah from a messianic point of view, uh, who say that uh, we're able to encourage them and, and build them up. So all of you can rejoice with us together as we're reaching out to so many people. We want to give a special welcome to those who are listening. They have no idea we're going to say this. Don't be surprised. I hope you all are smiling in Namibia today and in Egypt and in New Zealand and every other place where uh, we're scattered to the four corners of the world. I want to talk to you today about being fruitful And specifically, what do we need in order to thrive so that we can be fruitful? And I I want to connect this to the Torah portion, but before we turn there, I I want to give you some, some basic ideas. And in order to be fruitful, we really need to have a relationship with God. You can't bear good spiritual fruit without life in God. And so we, we need life that's centered in the God of Israel, in faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. And as well, we need fullness that comes from being immersed in the Holy Spirit. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit himself and his gifts, these are very important so that we can bear fruit. Now, there is a difference worth noting between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given in a way instantly when you receive them and without regard sometimes to your character. The fruit of the Spirit develops over time and is always connected to character. And sometimes people will be Uh, moving strongly in gifts of the Spirit and have bad character. And I don't want you to be alarmed about that. The gifts of the Spirit are not proof of character. I want you to understand that. And they are given to new believers and to every other kind of believer without regard to that because God has promised that he will pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and blood. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help bring us into godliness so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not an either or, it's a both and, but never be more impressed by the gifts of the Spirit than the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is uh, the sine qua non, that without which you really have almost nothing. So let me make it real clear clear. How many have ever prayed for the gift of patience? When you've been waiting so long, it's like, God, give me patience now. Patience is not a spiritual gift. That's the problem. It's fruit. 
how does patience develop? <laughs> That's the problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, you know, everybody in the midst of difficulty is saying, oh, God, give me patience. And he says, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So first of all, we need a relationship with God, a strong relationship with God, life in God, faith in Messiah, fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then we have to walk in faith and faithfulness, not just in our desires and our imaginations, but with obedience and with gratitude, a life of humility and submission to the Lord. So that's one part, and if you leave that part out, nothing else that I'm going to say will apply to you. It's the starting point. And it is a continuing point. Life with God will always be important. You can never be religious enough that you can do without God. Now, having said that, there's something else that we need to thrive. We need to know what we're really like. And I I want to to tell you something that we're going to explore in our study, and that is we are like grapevines and olive trees. And in order to understand our life and what it takes for us to be fruitful, it's useful for us to understand how uh, grapevines thrive and how olive trees thrive. Where do they grow? And where do they prosper? Where do they thrive? What kind of earth, what kind of environment is good for them? Because when you understand you are like a grapevine, you are like an olive tree, it's not just because of the taste of the fruit. In fact, it has nothing to do with the taste. It has to do with the nature. And, you know, there are some beautiful, tender plants. How many people like tomato plants? You need good soil for tomato plants, right? You have to take care of them. Um, Grapevines and olive trees love craggy soil, rocky soil, hard, hard, rocky, steep environments. They love places where other kinds of uh, plants may not do well, but they do well. Now, sometimes if we don't recognize that we're grapevines or we're olive trees, we'll be confused and think, oh, you know what, I'm a, I'm a tender blossom. And what I need is like beautiful topsoil. The alluvial riverbed is where I want to be. And I need protection. You know, maybe a greenhouse would be good too to shield me. And there's a problem for grapevines and for olive trees. If they stay in that kind of environment, they won't grow up. That's okay to nurture the shoot and to let them begin, but they either have to be planted in that craggy place or they have to be grafted onto an existing plant that is there in order to thrive. If they stay in the protected environment of a greenhouse or they just stay in in beautiful Iowa topsoil, you know what? They're not going to thrive. They're not going to prosper. Grapevines are growing in hard places that other things don't grow. And I'm talking about good grapevines. I'm not just talking about wild grapes, you know, that, you know, that are like kudzu. But the best, the best wine grapes grow in really difficult places. Now, you might say, well, Rabbi, what's, what's, what's wine got to do with us? And I want to answer that question. I'm prepared for that question. The first public miracle that Yeshua performed was at a wedding where the wine ran out. And he made wine for the celebration. Now that's not so remarkable, though interesting. What was remarkable, what above and beyond that was when that wine was served, what did people say? This is really good. It's the best wine. So that tells you something. Yeshua knows the difference between Magandavid wine, 
Bad Dog 2020, <laughs> Riuniti, and the wine he made. He made the best wine. He knows the difference. Now, this is in the Bible. I didn't put it in the Bible. Do you agree? I did not put it in your Bible. It's in your Bible that he made great wine, which means he understands greatness in that matter. Which gives us some appreciation about his view of the, the development of fruit. He wants really good fruit. Do you get that? How many of you remember that Seinfeld episode about uh, Peaches and uh, Kramer? You know, he, he, okay, there's one of us. Yeah, way to go. I know I could count on you. When you buy fruit, there's only one reason to buy it, because you want it to be good, right? And when it's not good, it's disappointing. Yeshua wants good fruit, And he knows what's good. This is what I'm trying to say to you. I'm trying to make this point. Yeshua knows the difference between good fruit and not good fruit. Between a lot of good fruit and not much good fruit. Between fruit that starts out like it has a lot of promise but doesn't fulfill the promise. And the fruit that grows all the way to ripeness in abundance and greatness. He didn't make one bottle of good wine. He made a lot. And he made outstanding wine that caused everyone to say, whoa, no one serves the best wine at the end of the party. You know why? They can't tell the difference (laughs) so well at the end of the party. But this was so good that they could tell the difference. And I'm not a wine connoisseur, so I can't really speak about what it what its qualities were, but I can tell you this, the Bible is absolutely clear that this was so good that even the people towards the end of the party could tell this is the best wine. So we need to know what, what is the environment for grapes, grapevines, and what is the environment for olive trees? Because that will help us understand. Now, I, if there's someone sitting near you who you like, just look them over and see, do they look more like an olive tree or a grapevine? It's probably not the look. I, I can tell you this. My wife has collected uh, grapey things, grape clusters, uh, over the years, we got a lot of things with little grapes on them. No, there's a lion. I was looking to so see, I couldn't remember if I was wearing grapes. The, it's not the visible. It's, it's, it's not that you mimic a grapevine or you mimic a, an olive tree. It's that you're called to be fruitful like them, and that requires that you thrive in the way that they thrive. And unless you understand what contributes to them thriving, you may never understand your own life and uh, the reasons why you're not in a greenhouse-protected environment. Have, have you ever had those kinds of prayers where you're really asking, Lord, just protect me from all this harsh you know, the storms of life. Who's, who's ever prayed, God, get me out of the storm? Yeshua's disciples were so disturbed when he was in the boat with them and the storm kicked up on the Canaret and, and he was sleeping. How dare he sleep through the storm? And What did Yeshua end up doing when he woke up? It's like, okay, stop the storm. You know, if that's what it takes. But he has promised us something. Storms will come in this life to every kind of person. And you will endure and succeed if you hear his instruction and put it into practice. This is his teaching to us. So you and I need to understand, we can't just always pray that the storms will be quieted, but that we will get through the storms, and that we'll sometimes navigate around the storms when we need to, 
Because this life has storms in it. Now, there's one other aspect about what we need in order to thrive and to be fruitful, and that is we need ministry assignments and we need responsibilities. And the Torah portion, which we're looking at, speaks to this. Uh, Ministry in the congregation, to be a doorkeeper in the house of God is a great thing. To serve the Lord, doing practical things, both the visible and the invisible. The things that people notice and the things that people don't notice, these are important. To have specific responsibilities with schedules and duties and to be faithful to our assignments, these are everlasting keys to thriving and to be fruitful. With that in mind, let's turn to the Torah portion. Numbers chapter 4. We'll look at one verse in this chapter. Here's the instruction, verse 32. You are to assign particular loads to specific persons by name. The Levites need to carry stuff. This is important to understand. I'm from the Levites, the Leviim. And some people say, oh, I want to be a Levite, meaning I want to be on the worship team. You don't want me on the worship team, I can tell you that. (laughs) I can carry a heavier load uh, than some, but being on the worship team is not good. Some of the Levites had jobs where they just needed to carry stuff and set things up. And according to God, it was not only work, it was ministry. And it was not only ministry, it was worship to the Lord to do this. And here's the instruction. Assign particular loads to specific persons by name. You see, each of us is created with unique qualities and our ministry assignments in God's eyes are connected to those qualities. And we need to receive our responsibilities and to be very specific and and to receive them as from the Lord. And as we move into Numbers chapter 7, you'll see why it's so important to receive it from the Lord. The assignments, say this word, assignment. Moses was told, assign everyone. That's really different than saying, okay, who wants to carry the heavy stuff on Shabbat? Who wants to come in early and set things up? Who wants to be here to turn on the lights? You know, not many people will volunteer for that. And you can look around and see if you even know who does that kind of work here. And you can ask this question. You can ask this question. Have I myself ever volunteered to do that? Can I even be assigned to do that? It's just a question. Let me say, I don't have an ulterior motive here. I'm going through the scripture, but I'm trying to unpack it so that you can see what it's saying and make it personal. Let's go to number seven. I'm saying ulterior motive, meaning there's not going to be a moment at the end of the service or in the middle of this message where I'm going to say, okay, now everyone who wants to open up the building, come forward, we're going to pray for you. No, this is talking about being assigned, not volunteering. Volunteering is separate and important. It's not the same thing as receiving an assignment. Numbers chapter 7, let's go to that. Verses 4 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, receive these offerings from them. They're to be used for the service in the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites, to each as needed for his duties. And so Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. The wagons and the oxen. Oh God, we want gifts. (laughs) Okay. Here's what you need for your ministry. Wagon, oxen. Verse 7, he gave two wagons and four oxen to the descendants of Gershon in keeping with the needs of their duties. So Gershon, the guys from Gershon were given assignments that required that they move heavy stuff. And that required that they have how many wagons? Two wagons and how many oxen? Four oxen, right. So they had that much heavy stuff to move around. They needed two oxen for each wagon. Can you do the math? You see, it's not hard, is it? Okay, verse 8. Four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the descendants of Merari 
in keeping with the needs of their duties directed by Itamar, the son of Aaron, the high priest. Now, this is interesting. They get more stuff. So if you've got oxen envy and you're from Gershon, this could stir up a problem for you. Not many people do have oxen envy. I have not yet met someone who said, you know, what I've always wanted was a couple of oxen. In fact, last night I tested the congregation to see if anybody could even name a famous ox. And some of us could. Let's hear it out loud. Babe. Babe the blue ox. And who did Babe go along with? Paul Bunyan. If you don't know who Babe is and you don't know who Paul Bunyan is, ask someone. If you once knew, then this will be good. This is like one of those uh, free build your memory capability programs. Normally you have to pay something extra, but uh, it's free today. Babe the Blue Ox. I can't think of one more famous ox. They're not all that popular. So we can't say that a lot of people have ox envy. But you know, sometimes when we see that somebody else gets more than us, we don't realize that they may have more responsibility or that it's exactly right for the duties or the challenges that they're responsible for. So the reason the descendants of Merari got four wagons and eight oxen is really clear. What's the reason? They had more to carry. They had more to transport, right? They had more work to do. So it could be that if they were lazy, they said, well, I only want to carry what Gershonites have to carry. Why should we need to do all this work? But if they had a good attitude, they'd say, thank you, Lord, for the work you've assigned to us. I am pretty sure that there was not a large group of Levites who were volunteering and saying, you know, I've been praying, my heart's desire is to uh, lead an ox, a couple of ox even, and a wagon and to move heavy stuff. That's what would really make me like feel fulfilled. Having said that, the history is that some of the people who received this assignment, this kind of assignment, took it to heart. And they started saying, Lord, this is from you. I want to be the best at moving heavy loads. I want to be the best oxen master, the best wagon master. I want to be the best mover of heavy things. And they committed themselves to doing the very best work that they could. Verse 9, to the descendants of Kahat, he gave none, meaning no oxen, no wagon. Why? Why don't we get these? But there's an explanation. Their duties involved the holy articles which they carried where? On their shoulders. Isn't that interesting? These Levites were the beasts of burden, not the oxen, not the oxen with wagons. Their responsibility was to carefully carry holy objects on their shoulders. What was important is specific people got specific responsibilities. Different responsibilities and duties required different resources. But all of it was important to the Lord. That's why it's all named here. So that each one of us would say, looking back, oh, these people did something important. And you know what? I can serve with the same attitude that they had. Now, Paul understood this, and he tried to communicate this kind of attitude to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Incidentally, you can find all these scriptures on Facebook, uh, on the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Facebook page. They're up there now. You can find them on our Messianic Jewish uh, teachings, the podcast Facebook page. You can find them on my personal Facebook page, uh, David Levine. We post them there. Uh, try to do that before services so that you can have access to them and can refer to them later as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes this, We are his workmanship. 
We are his workmanship. We are the things that God has crafted and made. Created in Messiah Yeshua for. For. And what's next is really important. For what? Good works. We have been created in Messiah Yeshua in order to do good things. In order to serve him. In order to fulfill the responsibilities, the assignments he gives us. In order to be fruitful in him. We are created in Messiah Yeshua so that we can have all the money we want. So that we can have leisure time. I mean, money and leisure are good. They're not evil. But that's not why we were created in Messiah Yeshua. We were created in Messiah Yeshua so that we can carry out the very things that he wants to accomplish on this earth that require humans to do it. Created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has a plan. That includes you. He has ideas about what he wants to accomplish that include you. And he will give you assignments if you fit into the local congregation. If you have the right attitude and you serve faithfully. He'll give you assignments that are just right for you. We're his workmanship created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. Not only did he knit you together in your mother's womb, but he was organizing ideas and plans for you. He has plans that include your service. And he doesn't want you to only know about those plans. It says, so that we would walk in them. You know what that means? So that we would do them. We would actually fulfill them. Sometimes we're so thrilled when we know something. So thrilled. And then when we have to carry it out, maybe we lose some of the motivation. People get a new job that they prayed for, and then it turns out the hours are longer, or the work is more difficult, or uh, everything is more demanding. And they're going to God, Lord, why did you give me this job? Well, because I prepared it beforehand for you. It's good for you. It's the right thing for you. Why do I have this ministry? So that I can fulfill what God has prepared beforehand. So we are his workmanship and we're created for good works. This is connected to our very nature. Now, flowers are great. I love flowers. I love Dutch flowers. We used to uh, import flowers from Holland, from the Holland Flower Auction with a broker, they'd, they'd fly them to us, we'd sell them uh, in Virginia, and they'd be as fresh as they could be and beautiful. I love all kinds of flowers. I love to go to gardens with beautiful plantings and beautiful flowers, Kuchenhof in, in Holland, one of the great gardens we've been to. And uh, before we moved to Jacksonville, Sandy and I stopped in Holland coming from Ukraine, and spent uh, a weekend with friends in Holland, and we went to Kuchenhof, and we had a day in that garden that was one of the best days of our lives. Isn't that true? And we've taken friends and travels there. I love flowers and gardens, but you know what? God doesn't call us to be just flowers and beautiful. He calls us to be fruitful. And sometimes the secrets of fruit are different than the secrets of flowers. We were in the garden center business, the landscaping, interior and outdoor landscaping business, and we used to sell very good fruit trees, Stark Brother fruit trees. And when we would sell them to people, you know, they, they really loved the kind of fruit tree they were getting that would produce exceptional fruit. Not normal fruit, but the best fruit. But before they took it, after they paid for it, 
Right. They would always pick the tree that was like the biggest on the top and looked perfect. And after, after they bought it, we, we said, okay, now we have to ask you a question. Do you want the most fruit you can get from this tree? And all of them said, yeah, that's why I'm buying it. And we said, okay, we need to prune it before it goes. Yeah, we had pruning shears that we all wore on our hips. And so we pulled out the pruning shears and we started cutting off the, uh, the branches that needed to be cut off so that the remaining structure would be perfect for the future. And that there wouldn't be too many branches that would then compete with each other and be weak. You can't imagine how grown men would not only wince, but they'd make noises out loud of agony, like, oh, you know, like we were cutting them. <laughs> the protest, I mean, sometimes people would grab our hand, you know, like, no, stop. And some people would say, I just paid for that. And now you're cutting it off. And we said, I thought you wanted more fruit. And we had to learn how do you prune for fruitfulness, which is really important, really important. And so when, when you understand fruitfulness is important, it's even more important than being, you know, a beautiful flower. It gives you a different attitude about your own life. You say, you know what? I want to produce fruit. I want to produce a lot of fruit, a lot of good fruit. That's what I want in my life. That gives permission, if you will, to the work of God for his pruning. Now, no one minds having the dead wood cut off of their lives, but everyone minds being pruned back when it's fruitful parts of our lives. And we just have to learn to endure it because it's good for us. Unless the grapevine is pruned back to the right number of uh, leads and the right length, it will not prosper and grow the best grapes at that time. It's necessary to endure pruning. And so when you understand, oh, I'm a grapevine, I am an olive tree, and this is my life, then you can accept it. And you can endure it, and it's not agony, it's not an existential crisis to go through these things. This is life, and it produces fruit. Now, Yeshua tried to communicate some of this to his disciples, and we read about it in John chapter 15. And this is a passage, you can turn there right now, John chapter 15. This is a passage that we looked at last week. And Yeshua says this. I have to look at exactly where I want to be. We'll start in verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. (laughs) I thought we were just going to hang out. No. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, because all the things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you should go and, what does your Bible say? Say that louder. Bear fruit. fruit. That's why I chose you, to bear fruit. Now, in order to really grasp this, go back to verse 4, where Yeshua says, abide in me. Oh, no, let's go back to the... Let's go back to verse 1. I'm the true vine, Yeshua says. My father's the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he... Let's get rid of that in the Bible. Because we don't like that part. Let me give a different translation. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes carefully so that it may bear more fruit. He prunes it differently. You are already clean, meaning you're already being pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you. And then he gives these words, which I want to focus on. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so now look at the, someone around here, look at someone sitting next to you and, and take notice of them. They're a, they're a branch, they don't have life in themselves. They're like a grapevine that is a branch. And if it's separated from the vine itself, it's just going to wither and die. They're like an, an olive branch. If it's separated from the rest of the tree and the trunk and the roots, what will happen to it? It will die. It will never be fruitful. The only way, Yeshua says to his disciples, that we can be fruitful is if we stay in him. And understand, we're not branches to ourselves. We are branches in him. And we have real life when we are connected to him. Life in him. Say that with me. Life in him. And you can say it like this. I'm nothing more than a branch. I cannot be fruitful all by myself. I can't grow. I can't thrive. I cannot even survive on my own. Do you get that? That's what Yeshua is saying to his disciples. He's saying, this is your nature. And anybody who wants to live without God who would hear these words would leave, and they wouldn't be fruitful. Same for us today. I'm the vine, you're the branches. (laughs) I'm the vine, you're the branch. Okay, now if you like the person sitting near you, you can say, hey, branch, branch, hey, branch. I like branches. Branches are good. Branches are what we are. Now back to... What Yeshua said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Who's got higher rights in this case? He does. That's right. He has the right to assign. He has the right to define. I appointed you to go and be beautiful flowers. I love flowers, but that's not what he said. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. Now, it's important to understand what this means. How many people have ever gardened? Can I see hands? How many people have eaten food, but you have never... I mean, you think food comes from Publix. (laughs) Publix sells food, but it doesn't really come from them. I point to you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. It's important to understand what this is talking about. Have you, have you ever grown tomatoes, those of you who have gardened, and, and you saw the tomato set, and it looked very promising, and then they were cast off, and they never really developed? Who's had that kind of experience? And Brenda Miller, you're a master gardener. I know you've had people come to you who are saying, what's going wrong with my plants? And you have to advise them do this and do that. If, if you want fruit, you want fruit that remains, right? Not just fruit that has promise, but fruit that really remains. If, if you are the owner of an apple orchard, what do you want? Apples. apples that's right. Good apples. Tasty apples. Not mealy apples, right? Tasty. Good quality, good quantity. If, if you 
are the master of a vineyard, what do you want? Good grapes. Right. When Yeshua says fruit that will remain, what he means is this. It's not enough to have promise. It's not enough to set the fruit and then for it never to develop and ripen and never be useful. What's necessary and what he's looking for is fruit that remains, fruit that sets, fruit that develops, fruit that ripens, fruit that can be harvested, and fruit that can be enjoyed by the owner of, the master of the vineyard and the olive tree. And who is that? It's the Lord. Yeshua says of himself, I'm the vine. And he said, my father is the vine dresser, right? Between us, a lot is going to happen. So we're called to be fruitful. That's our nature. We're called to be fruitful. Now, that person you smiled at, look at them and just tell them you will be fruitful because it's your nature. You will be fruitful because it's your nature. And then Yeshua says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. This is really important. Not whatever you ask the Father in your name, ending your prayer with in the name of Yeshua or in the name of Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a formula for prayer. He's saying the things that belong to me, you can ask for. In other words... If you've been assigned something and God wants you to fulfill everything connected to it, you can ask all you want about that and he'll answer you. Because he wants you to do what you've been assigned by God to do. He'll give you gifts. He'll give you relationships. He'll give you opportunities. He'll give you people around you. He'll he'll give you everything that's necessary so that you can be fruitful, but you do have to remain faithful and fruitful. You have to have that good attitude, that, that joy. You know, the Levites who were assigned to, to, uh, to prepare the incense for the temple, they took it so seriously that they learned how to make incense that could go straight up in a column without veering at all, without dissipating. It went almost like a shaft up. And they perfected it. Why did they do that? Because when they were little baby boys, their daddy said, one day, son, you're going to be an incense maker. No, because the Lord said to them, I've called you to serve me this way. And everyone who embraced it, embraced it with real seriousness. And they were so serious that they understood what they were learning and what they were doing was from the Lord. It wasn't for themselves. And so they agreed they would never use that same skill or that same incense for other purposes. It was just for the house of the Lord. You will be fruitful and bear fruit if you do it the way that the Lord has assigned you to do it. Now, I want to close with this idea. That Yeshua gives us this instruction to be fruitful. He gives us the secret that we got to remain in him. And we, we need to accept this life so that we can thrive in him. But it's not coming from principles that he learned about. It comes from his very nature in his life. And this is why he said, I am the vine. Now we'll close with Isaiah 11, verse 1. And we can put it this way. A little shoot is going to come up from the rootstock of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will develop and will bear fruit. Now, it's understood in, in, in the Jewish world that this is a prophecy about Messiah. Messiah will come from the family of Jesse through David... And Yeshua, who is from the house of David, is this Messiah. And so Yeshua is saying, I am this vine. I'm this vine. And I will bear fruit. And you are my branches. You will bear fruit.
remain in me. Now, the joy of life is so much stronger when you know who you are and what you are. You may have come here thinking, you know, I am a begonia. <laughs> I want to tell you, you're an olive tree. You're a, you're a grapevine. You might say, I don't like olives. So what? Olive trees don't eat olives. They make olives. Grapevines don't eat grapes. They make grapes. It's not about your preference. It's about your nature. And once you get your nature more clear, then your environment makes more sense. <laughs> I'm a grapevine. Now I understand why life is rocky. Now I understand why there's some adversity. Because grapevines and olive trees thrive in rocky soil in adversity. Did I say something? Okay. Come right up, Sandy. Okay. It occurs to me, um, of course I've known this all along, but in the beginning of our ministry, we owned garden centers, exotic plant stores, and... We had to take care of everyone, every single thing every day. They didn't take care of themselves. When we had a flower market, probably as big as this room, every couple of days we got in boxes of flowers that had to be taken care of from the moment they got there until they're sent out with the customer, and still then the customers want help. And when, uh, when we had greenhouses, we lived in um, Virginia. Roanoke, Virginia. Well, it's very cold in Roanoke, Virginia, about half the year. And I remember nights when it'd be, you know, we'd be like panicking. It's going to be a certain degree. You know, do we have enough oil to heat the greenhouses? What about the little plants in the greenhouses? And I'm really struck today by the difference in that part of our life and that kind of caretaking versus a congregation where people are growing to maturity. And when we had greenhouse plants, uh, we were tied to those greenhouses. We were tied to those plants. Our son is still in the micro plant business. So his plants only get about this big. He grows microgreens. And every few weeks, he's got another crop of babies. And he can hardly go anywhere, you know. He's got to water several times a day. And we had, we lived that life too. You know, it'd be a hot day, you had to go water more. It'd be a cold day and you had to go hover, you know, and make sure nothing was freezing. And I'm just rejoicing today in the difference in those environments. And I'm really grateful that, um, you know, we don't have a hothouse congregation. <laughs> I actually didn't mean that to be funny. It is funny, though, but it is <laughs> insightful but funny. But I, you know, it, I just sat there realizing that this is such a different time in ministry, you know. And even during that time, we had baby believers. And we had a lot of young single women, you know, who would like, oh, find my husband. Or, you know, just a lot of uh, different issues than, you know, a mature congregation has. And I don't know, I just sort of want to... to Thank the Lord and to congratulate you, you know. <laughs> so, That's beautiful. And, and that ties into that great experience we had at Trouble Oat on Sunday. Yes. Because we saw young people filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we saw them praying for others. And what I didn't tell you is we had, a, we had an older person, gray hair, 
man who, who came and he really wanted to be immersed in the Holy Spirit and receive the gift of tongues. He was so frustrated because he didn't feel like he was getting anywhere. And so I asked the three boys who had gotten filled with the Spirit to pray for him. And they prayed with enthusiasm, with tears, with sincerity. And it looked like nothing happened to him. And he was still frustrated. He left. He went to his car. And before he got to the car, something happened. (laughs) And he turned around, and he came back in, and he said, I got it. (laughs) And then he just, he started praying in the spirit with what he had. And then he looked, you're like, ha. And then he went to the next person, ha. And he was just so excited. Why did this happen? Because young ones Mm -hmm. received, but they didn't want to stay in that constant juvenile state. They wanted to serve others. You see? And it was prepared beforehand from the Lord that they could do it. And so, you know, that greenhouse plant can't take care of others. But the grapevine can branch off. The olive tree can grow strong and thrive. And and thank you for coming up and and elaborating. I'm finished, right? Uh, Yes, yeah. You know how I know I'm finished? Because earlier, Sandy said... Stop. (laughs) (laughs) And there are times when she'll go, you're like, okay, that's enough. And I'll go, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. 40 years, yeah. Let's close the service. All you grapevines and olive trees, rise up, O grapevine of God and olive tree of God. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. And the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the vine. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.